0: Quentin Donner saw the taxi idling at the curb and knew immediately that something was going on. It was mid-afternoon on a hot summer day. Most of the people in this section of the city were indoors where it was cool unless they had business in the hot sun. Donner was outside because, honestly, he had little choice. He was basically homeless and he looked apart with his worn and dirty clothing his hair and full beard in need of a trim, and his desperate need for a long, hot shower. The filthy trench coat he wore in spite of the heat and the greasy blue baseball cap atop his head didn't add much to his curb appeal. Donner didn't care. It wasn't a priority. If anything, it was a benefit as it encouraged people to stay away from him. But this taxi now sitting there and innocently idling in front of a hotel. The available light was off, yet here it was, just sitting there, losing money. It didn't feel right. Not in a way that most people mean when they say something like that, with their subconscious mind picking up on something that wasn't adding up. In Donner's case, it was so much more than that. It wasn't a gift, though. It was bought and paid for. He was approaching the taxi from the front and noticed that the driver, an Indian man who was probably barely in his 20s, was staring straight ahead with no expression on his face. In the back seat were two men. Donner couldn't really see them, but if he could, he knew what he'd find. Two men in moderately expensive-looking suits, carefully groomed and manicured, who looked like they'd be middle management at some financial firm. He didn't need anyone to tell him the two men in the back of the cab were demons in human form, and one of them had taken control of the driver. He could sense them, and he had enough experience to have an idea what was going on. For their part, the demons could probably sense him too, though they were focused on something else and wouldn't consider him a threat to whatever they were trying to do. Donner paused, looking around, trying to see who could be the focus of the demon's attention. About half a block away, standing at the corner waiting for the light to change, was a man in an expensive suit wearing a fedora and talking on his phone. No, the man was saying to his caller. No way we're selling to that prick. I don't care how much he offers. No deal. Donner could just tell. This was who the demons were interested in. Considering the setup with the driver in thrall so he would be forced to do whatever they wanted, the car's engine running, he didn't think they were waiting to talk to the man. No, they were here to murder him. Or, rather, cause him to have a fatal accident for which the poor, innocent driver would have to take the fall. If the two creatures in the back seat of the cab sensed him, they would at worst, expect him to move along, ignoring them. At best, they would expect him to help. The two demons in the back of the cab were named Serge and Melkor. Serge was controlling the driver, though it really didn't matter which one was which. In every way that was important, they were interchangeable. As Donner had surmised, they did indeed look like middle managers at a financial firm with suits that nearly matched and no jewelry other than a tie pin fashioned in the shape of a skull they both wore. Melkor nodded towards the fedora-wearing man up the street. Is that him? he asked. Serge looked at him for a moment. Looks like him, he said. Are you sure? Melkor asked. Reasonably sure, Serge said. Melkor went on. Because if it's not him and we dust him, the boss will be really pissed. I know, Serge said. I mean, the boss will be really mad. Dusting a civilian is something that really sets... I know, Serge said again, getting irritated. The light changed, and the man with the fedora started crossing the street, along with a few others. Serge spoke again. Here we go. He focused his attention on the back of the driver's head. The driver put the cab in to drive and stomped the gas pedal, the taxi peeling away from the curb, rushing towards the fedora-wearing man. The driver's expression never changed. Donner stepped from the sidewalk, running until he had fallen into the step next to the targeted man walking next to him. He looked at the approaching cab, a smirk on his face. The fedora wearer, meanwhile, had noticed the onrushing cab, noticed he was about to be hit by it, and did what most people would do in similar circumstances. He froze. Donner didn't move, standing between the man and the cab. "'Oh, shit!' Serge shouted, and the driver slammed on the brakes. Melkor clenched his fist and squinted, his eyes closed, his power supplementing the stopping power of the brakes. It was barely enough to stop the car, the front bumper stopping inches away from Donner. For his part, Donner winked at the demons, put his arm around the traumatized, fedora-wearing man, and guided him across the street, Talking quietly with him. Serge and Melkor watched Donner escort the man to the opposite street corner. Was that Donner? Serge asked. Do you know any other mortal stupid enough to do something like that? Melkor asked. I'm gonna kill that prick, Serge said. You know what would happen to you if you did. It's not worth it. Serge growled. You're right. But I'm talking to the boss about this. Melkor nodded. Right. Better get this over with. The two disappeared from the back seat and the driver, now released from the demon's control, sagged forward. He shook his head violently, turning to look in the now empty back seat, confused. Horns from the cars behind him were blaring, and he turned his attention back to driving the cab. Donner looked at the man with the fedora, checking him out to be sure he was okay. How do you feel, he asked. Fedora man nodded. He was sweating, only partially from the oppressive heat. I'm fine. Thank you. I think you just saved my life. He took a handkerchief out of his pocket and wiped his forehead with it, his hands shaking. What's your name, Donner asked. Graves. Graves. Henry Graves, the man said. The name was vaguely familiar to Donner, someone he'd heard about but never paid attention to before. What do you do, he asked. I own a pharmaceutical company, Graves said. Graves Pharmaceutical. Look, is there anything that you need? Money, maybe? Something to eat? He put the handkerchief back into his pocket and was reaching for his wallet in the inside pocket of his jacket. I'm good, thank you, Darner replied. He'd rarely had strangers offer that sort of thing to him out of the blue. In spite of his obvious housing situation, it only took literally saving someone's life to spark that charitable streak. Well, this building right here is where I live, Graves nodded towards the building they were standing in front of, a ten-story building with a lot of reflective glass. What's your name? Uh, Quentin Donner, he replied, and Graves nodded and smiled. You need anything? You come and see me, okay? I'll take care of you, Graves said. I'll keep that in mind, Donner said. Mr. Graves, don't ask me how I know, but this was not an accident. Someone is trying to kill you. What? Why? Graves asked. Donner could almost hear him mentally reevaluating Donner's mental status. A big-time business person like you, I bet you got some enemies, Donner said. Well, Graves said, narrowing his eyes, and Donner could tell that Graves had a very good idea who could be behind it. If you want to do something nice for me, go home and stay there, at least until tomorrow night, Donner said. I'll do a little poking around. Maybe there's something I can do. Really? Graves asked. I'll take care of it. Just stay home, lay low, don't do anything unusual or let anybody in, and let me take care of it. You'll probably never even know about it. Donner reached into a pocket of the trench coat and took out a piece of paper. It was crinkled like it had been balled up to toss into the trash. Donner handed it to Graves. You can reach me at this number if you need to, he said, in case anything else happens. Graves took the paper gingerly, glancing at it before stuffing it in his pants pocket. Okay. Thank you, Quentin, he said. My pleasure, Donner said, turning and walking away. Graves watched him for a moment then muttered, crazy, before chuckling to himself and going into the building. The office of the CEO of Carlton Pharma was large, with expensive furniture and totally tasteless but pricey art on the walls. The desk was big, heavy with a high-end executive's chair behind it. There were all sorts of sports and popular culture paraphernalia on the bookshelves, such as autographed baseballs and baseball cards, gold records for hit recordings, even some Super Bowl rings, and a Medal of Honor. None of the baseballs were autographed to the man who occupied the office. His name did not appear on any of the records, and he'd never played in the NFL. The Medal of Honor was also not his. His name was David Mead, and the only object in the office that contained any actual printed words was a framed cover of CEO magazine where he appeared on the cover. The article was titled, Carlton Pharma CEO David Mead, a rising star. The magazine cover in a heavy, expensive frame hung on the wall behind the desk. The magazine was over a year old, but Mead still dressed in a suit similar to the one in the picture. Dark, expensive, with white or cream colored shirt, and a conservative striped tie. He only allowed ostentation in his jewelry, but in this he threw caution to the winds and wore big, gaudy rings and a heavy, expensive watch. At the moment, Meade was sitting in his comfortable chair, looking over at Surgeon Melkor, who was standing at attention in front of him. "'Okay, so tell me how come I'm not hearing about Henry Graves' tragic accident,' Meade said. "'Uh, it didn't go like we planned.'" serge said obviously why not donner stepped in right next to him melcor said we would have hit him too if we hit graves donner you knew the guy yeah serge said we've run into him before pardon the pun Melkor added so why didn't you run over him too since when did you get so squeamish about taking human life ''Because he's got a contract with the boss,'' Melkor said. ''Same as you,'' Serge added. ''So?'' Meade asked with rising impatience. ''The boss would be really pissed with us if we took him out before his contract was up,'' Melkor said. ''I mean really angry.'' ''Yeah,'' Serge said. ''We take somebody out before their contract is up, there will be serious repercussions.'' Damn it, Meade said, stroking his chin. Why did he interfere then? Can't he sense when he's around people like you? He can, Serge said, just like you. Nobody knows why he does stuff like that. He has a history of interfering with this sort of thing, Melkor said. I should be on the phone with Henry Gray's widow right now, promising her I'll buy her husband's company so she won't have to worry about running it, Meade said. Comforting a grieving widow, but that won't happen now. Donner's time is up tomorrow night, Melkor said. He won't be around after that. We can try again then. The window of opportunity will have closed by then, you idiot. Gray's will have finished buying back all of his stock by then, and he'll start practically giving away pharmaceuticals, free insulin, antibiotics, chemotherapy drugs, damn socialists. And I would have lost my shot at cornering the market on all kinds of vital drugs. He's already got a board and senior management is full of people who believe his namby-pamby goody-two-shoes helping people garbage, same as him. Not to mention a few pandering weak-kneed politicians in his pocket. No way I'll be able to buy the company once that happens. This has to happen before tomorrow night. Well, as long as Donner's protecting them, there's nothing we can do about it, Melkor said. Mead sat in his chair, stroking his cheek with a manicured finger. Nothing you can do about it, he said. Yeah, Serge said. Is there something I can do about it, Mead asked. Melkor and Serge looked at each other. There's nothing in anybody's contract about that, Melkor said. Hmm. Meade said. What was this Donner's first name again? Quentin, Serge said. If he tries to kill you, we wouldn't be able to protect you, Melkor said, because that's outside the terms of your contract. Does he have anybody like you guys around to help him, Meade asked. No, Serge said. You got the deluxe package, Melkor added. But I won't have to worry about any consequences from the boss, right? Right. But the boss may or may not be able to protect you from the secular or legal authorities. You may not want to take the chance, Serge said. Deluxe package, Meade muttered, picking up the phone, hitting a button. Hey, Barbara, call that private investigator back that's been driving us crazy to hire him. I got something for him. Tell him it's urgent. I need to talk to him tonight. He hung up the phone before Barbara could respond and leaned back in his chair, looking at the two demons. When all this is said and done, I get to rate you guys, right? He asked. Later in the day, In a quiet residential neighborhood, Donner was sitting on a bench at a bus stop. It had been a long, hot day and he was sweaty, leaning back on the bench, eyes closed. The houses around him were all a few years old, mostly small, some abandoned, but most pretty well maintained. It was quiet, most people at work or school, but it was time for people to start getting home. Donner was sitting with his head leaning back, his eyes closed, baseball cap pulled low. A city bus drove up, stopping in front of him, door opening and letting out a few people. The bus drove away after Donner waved it on without lifting his head or even opening his eyes. Suddenly, Donner was not alone on the bench. Sitting on a backrest, feet on the bench next to him, was the boss. The boss was a woman, tall, young, slender, leggy, generously bosomed and wearing a tight skirt and low-cut blouse that showcased all of her assets. On her feet were a pair of LeBaltons, bright red soles, peeking out when she moved. However, the expression on her face was just weariness. She smelled of some perfume that neither Donner nor nor anyone he knew could afford. The reason I make my clients sensitive to the activity of my people is so you'll know to stay away, if not help, she said. Not so you can interfere. Donner didn't move. Damn, he said, I must have gotten confused about that. Is there some particular reason you've decided to be a pain in my ass, the boss asked. Have I done something to offend you? I get bored, Donner said, shifting slightly so he could tilt his head and look at her without sitting up straight. You know I remember every time you screwed up something I've got going on. It just adds to your upcoming torments. I'd never guess, Donner said, shifting back to his previous position and closing his eyes again. Like this thing you screwed up today, the boss said. It could have been huge. The effects could last decades. I warned Graves, Donner said. He won't be leaving his apartment. Your people want to kick down his door and murder him feel free, but that would get the police involved, and I'm pretty sure your client wouldn't want that. The boss chuckled slightly, sliding down until she was sitting next to him on the bench. I don't get you, Quint, she said. Most people who make deals with me are already on their way to me anyway. You weren't. I guess the terms you asked for should have tipped me off that you were an old-fashioned do-gooder. A for-real one, that is. We all have our crosses to bear, Donner said. There's no sense in trying to reason with you. And i'll be seeing you tomorrow night anyway the boss said another bus pulled up then drove drove away after letting off a couple of riders donner was alone again in his office Meade sat behind his desk nervously rocking back and forth he had an open spreadsheet on his computer screen that he ignored and the squeaking of his chair as he nervously squirmed was the only sound. Suddenly Melkor and Serge were there, once again standing in front of his desk, and Meade stood up, leaning forward, resting his palms on the desktop. Well, he asked, you've been gone long enough. Sorry, Melkor said, we waited a while just to be sure. And what did you find out, Meade asked impatiently. Graves is locked up tight in his apartment, Serge said. We could go in anyway, and Melkor started to say, but Meade interrupted him. You do that, and the cops get involved, and all the assets and business transactions for that company will get frozen until the inst- investigation is complete, which could take months, if not years. No, it has to be. it has to seem like an accident, obviously an accident, not something where there will be questions yeah Melkor said you're right i'm just pissed off at the guy so what do we do now serge asked keep an eye on his place Meade said if he comes out make sure a piano falls on him or something we can do that serge said Though donner will probably be right there beside him if he does The phone on Meade's desk chirped, and he answered it quickly before it even finished one chirp. Yes, he asked, and listened for a moment. Okay, good. Email it to me. No, you can't go home yet. I may still need you. Well, do your nails or something. He slammed the phone down and grinned, settling into his chair. Meade turned to his computer and logging into his email account. Don't worry about Donner. I'm about to fix that problem right now. Meade opened an email, clicking on an attachment. It opened into a PDF with Donner's picture, along with his name, date of birth, and all sorts of biographical information. Meade read it over for a moment. Then his face broke out into a big grin. Gotcha, he whispered. He looked at the two demons. Go back and keep an eye on Graves' place tonight, just in case he does come out. You get an opportunity, take it. If not, come back here tomorrow morning. I'll have an errand for you too. Got it, both demons responded before disappearing. Meade went back to reading the email, a satisfied smirk on his face. It was dark inside the cluttered storage unit. There were crates and cardboard boxes stacked against the walls and miscellaneous junk atop crates and boxes all over the floor. There was a heavy strong box sitting in the middle of the floor, a lace doily atop it with an old lamp and a small tray holding some paper clips and coins. The unit wasn't quiet, however, with the steady rhythmic ticking of an old wind up clock sitting on a concrete floor. Next to the clock on an open bedroll, Donner slept. He was still wearing his clothes from the day before, except for his coat and the baseball cap, both of those hanging from a rack against the wall. Next to him on the floor was a small battery powered lamp. The cl- alarm on the clock started ringing and Donner opened his eyes. He sat up hitting the clock to stop the alarm He sat there a moment, gathering himself, turning on the lamp, which really didn't do all that much to dispel the darkness, before getting up awkwardly. He went over to his coat and dug through the pocket, taking out a key ring full of keys. He looked through them, finally finding the one he was looking for. He went over to the strong box and used the key to unlock it, opening the door and reaching inside, taking out the only thing it held, a small case about the size and shape of a shoebox. He put the case on top of a crate and opened it, taking out an automatic pistol. It was a small caliber, only a .22, but he looked it over carefully, making sure it was still in working order. There was a magazine full of ammunition next to the pistol, and he took it, slamming it into the grip. He went back over to his coat and slipped the small gun into one of the pockets. Then he took the jacket off the rack and slipped it on along with the cap. He went over to the lamp and turned it off before opening the door and stepping outside, closing it behind him, leaving the room in darkness. The only sound, again, the steady ticking of the wind-up clock. The kitchen was cluttered, but not messy. No food left out to rot or draw ants. No liquid spilled and left unmopped. No flour or cornstarch on the floor. Dirty dishes were firmly deposited in the dishwasher. Clean dishes were in their place. It was a kitchen that was sorted. There was a small dining table in the middle of the kitchen, and sitting in one of the chairs, a bowl of cereal and a cup of coffee in front of her, was a slim, dark-haired teenage girl. She was wearing a school uniform, green and white, and eating her cereal while her mother busied herself nuking a breakfast burrito in the microwave. The girl's name was Alice Harris, and her mother's was Doris, and this was a typical morning for them. Homework done, Doris asked as the microwave beeped. She opened it, gingerly taking out the scalding hot burrito and dropping it onto a plate. Yep, Alice said are you sure yes i'm sure the doorbell rang and alice leapt to her feet brightening considerably i'll get it she said doris smiled and got a coffee mug and a cereal bowl out of the cabinet the living room is dark quiet the tv tv mounted on the wall but off at the moment alice runs into the front door and opens it grinning broadly Standing on the top step was Donner, also smiling. Good morning, Quint, Alice said. Good morning, Alice, Donner said. Alice stepped aside and Donner came in, heading for the kitchen. I'm going to get my stuff for school, Mom, Alice called before running up the stairs to her room. In the kitchen, Doris had put the cereal bowl in the mug, now full of black coffee, at another place on the table. Donner came in and sat down there, taking off his baseball cap and putting it in his lap. He picked up the coffee, took a sip, and sighed. Good morning, Doris, and thanks, he said. Good morning, Doris said, pouring herself a cup of coffee and holding the burrito wrapped in a paper towel, gingerly taking a bite from it. Isn't it a little hot for a coat? I thought it felt a little chilly when I got up this morning, Donner said, taking another sip of coffee. You could just stay here with us, you know. Alice would be thrilled. I know. Let me think about it. You always say that, Dora said, and Donner chuckled. That's because I'm always thinking about it, he said. Could you come by tonight, say around seven? Sure. Why? She took a deep breath and let it out, slowly. I've got a date with Ben. If you're here maybe Alice will actually do her homework sure I can do that I really like him Doris said I mean I've only gone out with him a few times but so far as long as he's not another Rudy Donner said and Doris sighed he's not here eat some cereal I'm sorry just not hungry this morning Donner said you need to eat something And a shower wouldn't hurt either, Doris said, wrinkling her nose. I wish I had time. Busy day ahead. Busy day doing what, Doris asked, as the ringtone on her phone in her purse started. She took the phone out, glancing at the number and looking confused before she answered it. Hello? Uh, yeah, he's here. Hold on, she said. She handed the phone to Donner, who didn't appear to be the least surprised it's someone named henry Graves," she said yeah he said to the caller okay yeah i'll be there in an hour i'll meet you in front of your building don't come out until you see me okay stay right where you are until i get there good see you shortly donner disconnected the phone and handed it back to her you know there are cheap burner phones available at pretty much every department store Cheap data plans, too, so you won't have to give your friends my number for them to call you. I keep losing them, Donner said, besides it wasn't a friend. Then who was it? You told me, Henry Graves, Donner said. Who is he to you is what I meant, and why is that name familiar? He owns a pharmaceutical company, and this is business, Doris brightened at hearing that. About a job, maybe? Donner sighed. In a way, I guess, he said. Look, I gotta go. Doris brightened mood dimmed a bit. Quint? What's wrong? Nothing, really, he said, getting up, taking a final swig from his coffee. Alice ran in, carrying her backpack. I'm heading for the bus stop, she said. Have a good day, punk, Doris said. Hey, Quint, could you walk with me to the bus stop, Alice asked, and Donner grinned. Sure, he said. Let's go. So, did you talk to Jenny? Donner asked Alice as they walked to the school bus stop. They walked a few steps before Alice replied. No, not yet. What if she doesn't like girls, Quint? Not like that, anyway. What if she does, Donner asked. If you don't talk to her about it, you'll never know. Donner put put his hand on her shoulder, stopping her turning her so they're facing they were facing each other you can't be afraid to take a chance donner said if you decide not to talk to somebody to tell them how you feel it may be something you'll regret for the rest of your life but what if she doesn't like me alice asked what if she does that's a possibility too talk to your mom punk she's been through a lot in her life she knows a lot of stuff She's the best person in the world to talk to about this stuff. I know, Alice said. Okay, good. But she's my mom, Alice added, and Donner chuckled. He pulled her to a tight hug that went on an uncomfortable length of time. Quint, Alice asked, her voice muffled a bit by his shoulder. Is everything okay? Quint let her go and looked at her as if trying to remember, memorize every detail of her face. Everything will be fine, he said as the school bus drove up to the stop. You'd better hurry or you'll miss your bus. Okay, bye, she said, turning and running for the bus. Donner watched her until she got in line with the other kids waiting to board the bus, and then turned to go on his way. And he ran into Melkor and Serge, who had appeared right behind him. Donner glared at them. What do you want? he demanded. We got a call for you, Serge said. Melkor held up a phone, turning the screen so Donner could see it. A smirking David Meade was on screen, sitting behind his desk. Hello, Mr. Donner, Meade said. Who the hell are you, Donner asked. "Meade is the name, and if you continue to protect graves, I will be the worst nightmare of your girlfriend, Doris Harris, and that daughter of hers, Alice. Don't you dare, Donner said. Stay away from graves. Let my associates here do what they need to do, or I'll destroy her. She's got nothing to do with this, Donner said. I don't care. I may not be able to touch you, but I can ruin her. Understand? You'll be burning in hell and knowing that I'm here, making sure that her life isn't worth living. I can do that. You bastard donner growled and meade smirked even more all you gotta do to keep that from happening is stay away from greaves graves that's all do that and i won't touch her ever i don't trust you donner said i guess that's my answer then meade said okay see you in hell donner Melkor disconnected the call and slipped the phone into his inside coat pocket see you around Melkor said i'm sure donner said as he walked between them continuing on his way the two demons disappeared donner stood in front of graves building sticking out like a sore thrum with his worn stained trench coat and greasy baseball cap he guessed he had a matter of minutes before one of graves neighbors called the cops on him the door of the building opened and graves emerged Donner approaching him and throwing an arm across Graves' shoulders. Donner maneuvered Graves so that he was on the inside and Donner was closest to the street. Melkor and Serge stood across the street watching and Donner waved at him. Melkor took out his phone and called Meade. Donner's here, he said when Meade answered. He's protecting Graves. Melkor moved the phone away from his ear as, as Meade shouted i want that bastard dead do you hear me dead now there's nothing we can do about that melcor said glancing at serge who nodded agreement melcor put the phone back to his ear as Meade lowered his tone so that he wasn't shouting anymore melcor listened for a moment before saying okay got it and disconnecting the call putting the phone back in his pocket what did he say serge asked he wants us to come back to the office, Melkor replied. It was just before midnight. Donner was back on his bench at the bus stop where he could see Doris's house across the street and a block away. They wouldn't see him, he knew, especially not tonight. Earlier, he'd sat on the couch in the living room while Alice sat on the floor Her homework spread out all over the coffee table and tried to help her when she had a question. She'd finished, or said that she was finished, giving him a quick hug and a peck on the cheek before going upstairs to probably get online and do whatever kids her age did on the internet these days. He could never keep up with that stuff. He'd left before Doris had gotten back, figuring it would be too awkward to have him there when she came in with Ben. Plus, he had a hard and fast deadline tonight anyway. He didn't want to complicate matters even more. A nice, if a little old BMW pulled up into the driveway of Doris's house, and the doors opened, Doris getting out of the passenger side. A man in his early 40s, dressed in casual but nice clothes, got out of the driver's side and walked Doris to the door. Not bad. It was the boss who had appeared suddenly at his side, sitting next to him this time, instead of up on the back of the bench. Not bad at all. Do you know him? Donner asked. No, she said. I guess that's a good thing, right? Doris and Ben were having a conversation on the front on the porch at her front door, and Donner knew Ben would be going in for a kiss soon. And Donner and Doris would let him. Yeah. It is, Donner said. I don't get you, Donner, the boss said. After our previous conversation and Mead's threat, you still screwed me over. I'm a slow learner, Donner said. The boss sighed. Alice isn't yours, she said. Yeah, I'm aware of how it works. Then why? Your soul is a rarity, a precious commodity others would have asked for so much more than you did donner sighed too you wouldn't understand he said has it come back yet not yet she said it won't until after midnight and then it'll just start over again right not just take up where it left off before yes like we agreed so it'll be years before she feels anything donner said And since she's had it before, she'll know what it is when she feels it and go and see her doctor instead of waiting like she did before. And they'll be able to treat it because it won't be all that far along. And Alice will be an adult by then anyway, the boss said. She'll have her own life. Hopefully, Donner said. As they spoke, a limo drove up and parked at the curb, tires screeching. The back door opened and Meade got out surge coming with him Melkor was driving and got out to join them as well leaving the limo idling well you done it donner Meade said your girlfriend is doomed he walked over to stand in front of donner bending over to see into his eyes his face flushed with rage he glanced at the boss but barely acknowledged her i'm going to buy that pissant company where she works Meade went on I'll make it look like she's been stealing from it. I'll have her put in jail for years. And when she's about to get out, I'll have her put back in jail for more years. And while she's in jail, I'll make her life a constant torment. Everything I can think of to make her life worse, I'll do. You'll be burning in hell knowing what is going on with her, and you won't be able to do anything about it. Right, boss? He glanced at the boss who nodded. Smiling slightly at Donner, but saying nothing. She's going to keep you informed about your girlfriend's torments. She's going to tell you everything. Please, don't, Donner said. Yes, beg. Beg me, damn you, Meade said. Donner stood up and Meade stepped back, a little afraid. Are you going to take a swing at me, Donner? Go ahead. I'll let you have that little satisfaction. You know something, Meade. If you had been a little less predictable, I would have been out of luck, but you did exactly what I knew you would. Donner took the pistol out of his pocket and cocked it. What? Meade asked. You're going to shoot me? How quaint. Donner pointed the gun at Meade's forehead and pulled the trigger, shooting him between and just over his eyes. It made a faint popping noise, barely sounding like a gun at all. Meade stood there, an astonished look on his face, then sank to his knees and fell forward onto the sidewalk. Donner turned him over with his foot, glancing at the boss, at Melkor and Serge, who all remained where they were, not doing anything to interfere. The boss looked faintly amused. Donner saw the confused look on Meade's face, Meade's lips moving with no noise coming from his mouth. Then Donner saw, Donner saw comprehension dawn as Meade realized what had happened. That was when Donner shot him four more times, twice more in the head, twice in the chest. Meade uttered some gasping sounds before exhaling his last breath, dead. The boss stood up. Wow, she said. I have to say, I did not see that one coming. She nudged Meade's body with the toe of one of her A shame, This boy had so much promise, too. And he doesn't get a personal escort this way. She turned to face Donner. You know this only adds to your torments, right? I'm aware of that, Donner said. I kind of thought you didn't that, that you didn't care. You're right, Donner said. The boss looked at Melkor and Serge, then looked at Donner. It's time, she said. I'm ready, Donner said. Not that it matters. A few feet up the sidewalk, a portal appeared, a shimmering doorway of pale blue light, and the boss walked toward it. Donner next to her, Melkor and Serge following. They stepped through the portal, and it closed, shrinking to one small point of light that, fading away like an old TV set, gone like it was never there, leaving the street to the night, to the still-idling limo, and to the rapidly cooling body of David Mead. On the porch at Doris's house, Doris and Ben kissed, oblivious to everything else. This is Jay Franklin Evans. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories That Suck. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe.